If you're over 40 and want to be the best version of yourself, Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence is here to help. Clarence Ferguson is a seasoned loan officer, fitness expert, personal chef, and entrepreneur who leads a revolution of men and women who want to live their best life going into middle age. Inspiring dialogue, challenging topics, and industry leaders are here offering tips and how-tos to improve your life. Now, here's Coach Clarence. What's going on, everybody? It's Monday, and I have a great guest in the building, um, Kurt Nurmi. I think I said that right. And um, he's got a lot of interesting things that I want to talk about. Um, I was going through his website, and obviously he has quite the history in town uh, from some work he did. So I'm going to kind of let him start, just tell us what's been going on, what he's been up to, and then we'll get into it. Well, hi, Clarence. Thanks for having me here this afternoon. I sure. uh, appreciate the time and, and look forward to, to talking with you. Um, yeah, I mean, most people know me from the Jody Arias trial, the trial that kind of captivated the uh, Phoenix area uh, starting on January 2nd, 2013. And, and really that trial um, was not just a local phenomenon, but a worldwide phenomenon, thanks to live streaming as one of the first trials, not the first, but certainly one of the first trials that involved streaming on the internet and, yeah. and that sort of thing that people could watch it um, all over the world at any at any point in time so um, we became kind of the the phoenix kind of became the hotbed there with that trial and that lasted for two and a half years approximately in terms of the spotlight aspect of it i was her attorney for over five mm-hmm. um, and and just to kind of maybe get people up to the kind of things we're going to be talking about today with with health and mindset and that sort of thing um, shortly after that trial, um, I was diagnosed with stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which gave me about a 70% chance of survival if I were to undergo six rounds of mm-hmm. chemotherapy. And, uh, you know, we, we can get into the intricacies of that if you want, but um, I came out of that. Obviously, it's, it's almost five years later now, and, and my cancer's in remission. But um, I felt like I learned a lot about life mindset and making shifts uh in our life particularly over 40 you know we, you know there's this always this saying like midlife crisis right you're supposed to get a sports car and, and, a, and a younger girlfriend or something of that nature right that's the stereotype anyway but i tend to think about um midlife shifts and midlife clarity um instead of you know crisis and so we can begin to make sure that we're living our lives as adults, whether that's at 40, 45, 55, in a way that we're not going to have any regrets when our time on this planet is coming to an end. And that's kind of, in, in a nutshell, and we, uh, obviously I hope we'll get into this deeper, but that's kind of in a nutshell what I learned from cancer when my mortality became a reality. And we think about our mortality as something that's going to be down the road or we're going to get right. hit by a bus, Right. right. But um, so with that six-month look at it, right, it was a real time of introspection. And um, that's why I decided to write Defend Your Greatness to uh, help people get in touch with their greatness at at any age, quite frankly. So they're not running out the clock Mm -hmm. on their lives. So they don't feel like they have to have that midlife crisis, per se, and and move towards midlife clarity. Okay, so a lot of times when I'm talking to clients, that's interesting that you brought up uh, Defend Your Greatness. What does that mean to you 
when I talk about greatness for people is identifying themselves because everybody's trying to identify with some other identity instead of their own beauty and what they represent. So um, what kind of, what was the driving force behind that? Was it you just feeling like, oh, I'm sure as an attorney, you worked several hours and a week, you're busy all the time, which leads to bad habits. I've trained a few attorneys and their lifestyles are just atrocious, you know. So tell me a little bit about the motivation behind that of, of defending your greatness. Sure. It, 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 it goes back to, I think, a, a deeper level what we're ta- than, than what you just mentioned. But I would say that it's, it's probably on a very similar um, mindset, actually. But I think we're all born with greatness inside of us. That's why we're delivered onto this planet. Whether your belief in that regard is spiritually based religiously based or even scientifically based like darwin you're here to move the planet forward right Mm -hmm. so ultimately with that reality we have that greatness that comes into our lives and that's why we're here but what happens in our life is that we tend to we're told not to let that shine Mm -hmm. maybe that's an example right you don't want to stand out in the crowd you want to be normal you don't want to you don't want to be flashy. You don't want to take too many risks. You want to blend in with the crowd. And really, defend your greatness to me is a process of declutter, decluttering your mind and decluttering your life in many ways mm-hmm. so that your greatness can shine through what you're, what you're supposed to be, what you're meant to be mm-hmm. while you're on this planet. Because, and, and, and one of the biggest drawbacks or one of the biggest enemies to that is practicality. Because we say, well, I hate my job, but i got to keep doing it for this, this, and this reason, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're not really living. It's this, old, it's this old mantra of, you know, dying is inevitable, but truly living and embracing life is optional. And to me, that's what Defend Your Greatness is about. It's about living in and defending your greatness. And you have to defend it because it's always going to be under attack. There's always going to be those choices that are practical, but not consistent with what's in your heart. Gotcha. So I know with the legal system, sometimes you being a defense attorney, you have to sometimes defend people who aren't publicly popular, if you will. Um, what was that like? Um, you know, it's not about oh, defense attorneys. I don't know if, if these are the ones you train ever said this, but defense attorneys are there to really defend the Constitution, not the client or their actions. It's about defending the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So. You know, public popularity, the court of a public opinion doesn't factor into that. Our Constitution, we rejected mob mentality in our Constitution. That's what we rejected a vengeance-based criminal justice system. So I offer no apologies to anyone for the fact that I was assigned to Miss Arias's case as a public defender, or anyone else's case for that matter, as a public defender, and that I did everything I can to actualize their rights. Because that's what our system demands of prosecutors and defense attorneys. And if it didn't work that way, if it wasn't inherently adversarial, we'd see probably more wrongful convictions. And I think, and I get attacked by this, but I think the U.S. has one of the best criminal justice systems in the world. And for in order for that to function, defense attorneys have to stand up and fight for the rights of everyone, whether they're popular or not. Gotcha. Um, Would you say during that trial, some of that stress led to certain habits that led to you discovering cancer? When did you actually discover you had cancer? Well, I discovered I had cancer in August of 2015, which is about four months after the um, proceedings ended and Miss Arias was sentenced. And to to answer your question with a, a little more clarity, although certainly 
we never can tell why we have cancer, right? You, you never know with certainty. I mean, obviously, not even everyone that has lung cancer is a smoker, right? right. So we don't always know with clarity. But I believe it was certainly the stress of that trial in particular because I was otherwise pretty healthy, active, that sort of thing. I certainly carried extra weight in 2013, and I dieted and lost a bunch uh, and, and wrote my first weight, weight loss book based on that um, shift in my life because so many people were interested. But I believe it was ultimately stress. It was working you know, 12 to 14 hours a day, six or seven days a week in a very high-profile setting because it's not just a matter of those work hours, but it was a matter of the fact that, you know, my life was being threatened. I had to open my mail with white, uh, excuse me, um, rubber gloves because I was getting white powder in the mail, things like that. So it was a very stressful time. And so I think that that stress is the direct reason mm. that I got cancer. So um, in your book, um, Weight Loss, The Deeper Dive, what strategy did you go about losing weight? Well, I, w I basically went on a calorie system. Reduction of calories to between sure. twelve and sixteen hundred calories a day. Okay. Um, but one of the things that I did to hopefully get people, it, it kept me on track with the idea that it would keep others on track, is kind of look at it as a bank account, not look at it as a success failure kind of thing. Because I think, um, you know, when we have goals like if it's weight loss or fitness or whatever, I think we set ourselves up to be a failure until we achieve that goal. So my goal was the intentions of moving forward towards a, a thinner body. So I went with this twelve to sixteen hundred calorie program that I outlined, and I used it as a bank. I used the analogy of a bank account because there might be occasions like I remember the year I was going through it. The Seahawks uh, were in the Super Bowl yeah, and we were having a pizza party and everything else, right? And so I didn't want to not imbibe and have fun and everything sure. else right and if i was on a diet per se a strict diet i went in there and did that i would feel like a failure but instead as a bank account i saved my calories a little bit for a day or two prior sure and i saved some calories a, a day or two afterwards and there i was kind of on that average that balance sheet evened out to what it needed to be in order for me to lose weight mm -hmm. so and, you know, just recently after I've recaptured, I'm really feeling like I'm starting to recapture my health after cancer, after the chemo. You know, I hear it four years later, not so many aches. Some, but certainly not as many. And I'm starting to do that system again and, mm -hmm. and with great success. How much of your weight loss planning was um, mindset work, which you know, a lot of the stuff I'm reading from your website and some of your books, how much, how, how much, what percentage would you say was the mindset because most people know they shouldn't eat so much. So how much of that was you saying, I need to change my mindset? I need to change my patterns, my patterns. What, how much of that do you talk about in your book? Well, yeah, in, in, in the book you just mentioned, The Weight Loss, I, I also talk about it as, as it relates to cancer and the emotions of eating and that sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's a mindset shift because food – so much we're trained on, and it's my experience, maybe not everybody's, but I think it's a common one, is that as kids, we're given food as a reward, right? You get yes. a good report card, you get ice cream. To me, it was ba For me, it was Baskin and Robbins, right? But it could be, <laughs> you know, you win the soccer game, you get a pizza party, what have you, right? Yep. And so then food becomes a reward. Yes. Well, what happens? It's actually a destructive, it's actually a self-destructive act, right? right? 
So shifting that mindset into is like, you know, if you're in a, you use the example of an attorney, you're coming home and I had a bad day. Um, I deserve to go out and have a cheeseburger and fries or what have you, right? You're just doubling down on your pain. You're giving yourself temporary satisfaction, but you're doubling down on the pain. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a matter of caring about yourself. Self-care is a big thing for me. Caring about yourself in the long term as opposed to that short-term satisfaction. And, you know, we, we talk about the eating, eating away your problems, right? Instead of doing that, whether it's eating, drinking, whatever it is, it's a, that it's a negative self-care act, um, self-destructive act, is, is really taking on those issues and the mindset of why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why do I feel the need to eat this? And shifting that mindset instead of eating the cheeseburger or the pizza or the ice cream into true acts of self-care. Gotcha. Now, are you, I've noticed that you're doing seminars and stuff. Is the focus on just purely weight loss or a combination of all of it together? No, I mean, I, I've, I've authored several books. So recently I did, I offered a seminar on, on book writing. But um, so, you know, that to help people self-publish and that sort of thing. So I haven't done any seminars per se on weight loss. I just focus, I put my books out there. And, and I'm certainly busy with a lot of other projects and a lot of other writing. So because I also think, you know, I don't want people to come to me at a seminar thinking that I'm going to be their savior. Mm-hmm. I want them to take the steps to go out and spend the money and buy the book and read the book. Because yeah. how many times do we say, I'm going to go on a diet, right? New Year's resolutions are the, are the silliest thing in the world, right? Because willpower is like a muscle. It's eventually going to give up. Yeah. So unless you are invested, unless you're taking the steps, you're really not going to get the results. You come to me, I talk about how I lost the weight. And you're going to say, oh, that's great. I'm all motivated. And then a week later, Nermi's program didn't work. Yeah. No. No, go in there, read the book, and do it yourself. Because the only thing you really need in this regard, in, ter- in terms of weight loss, is, is your, your mindset shift. And no one can give that to you. Gotcha. You can have it spurred along by coaches like yourself, but you ultimately have to do it yourself because you're the one standing at the fridge at 6 o'clock at night after (laughs) you've been home, right? Right. You're not there over your client's shoulder, and neither am I. So ultimately, that mindset shift is what has to carry a person. Gotcha. All right, let's take a break real quick, and we'll be right back. Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence. We'll be back right after this. We see it every day on TV. Real or fictionalized stories of people who have been abused. Many abuse survivors relate to those stories and think they have to suffer in silence. But there is an answer. The International Child Advocacy Network, YesICan.org, provides online facilitated chat rooms for child abuse and domestic violence survivors. YesICan.org, the sole provider of these online services, stands ready to help break the silence and cycle of abuse in your life. Go to YesICan.org for more information. YesICan.org, working worldwide to break the silence and cycle of abuse. And now, back to Fit Over 40. Here's your host, Coach Clarence. All right, we are back with Kirk Nurmi. And so, you have a new show. Let's talk about the new show, um, Overcoming Jody Arias, the show. What's going on with that? Yeah, um, you know, one of the things I think consistent with my Defend Your Greatness book and everything else I've been doing is that uh, a lot of people have 
it's obvious it's part of the human experience that a lot of people have a lot of things in their life they need to overcome, right? It's just part of being human. Each one of us in the studio today has had pains and, and traumas they need to overcome before they got in. And when we walk out the door, when the show's over, you know, they're going to be there again. It's going to happen. It's just part of the human condition. So my thought was that people can learn a little bit from a guy who survived the infamy of Jody Arias as well as the cancer that followed. So what I decided to do is put a, a one-man show together. It's uh, got comedic elements. The subtitle is uh, A Comedic Examination of Life's Trials. Okay. And so I go through uh, my story a little bit and the, and, the, and the issues related to the trial with the hopes that, you know, maybe somebody can learn something. And, and it's, it's, it's laughter-led, right? It's la you know, I think when we make room for laughter, we make room for hope to those things that we have to overcome. So that's the design of the show. And, you know, um, to, to your listeners out there, and Clarence, if you've seen this before, you know, Mike Tyson did a one-man show, and he talked about his life, and there were some comedic elements yeah, to it. You laughed good. a little bit, right? I've seen it, yeah. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here. We're talking about having some fun, but getting a better takeaway, something that could come out the door. Because, you know, a lot of comedy, and, and, and it's fine for what it is, but, like, it's you know, bodily function jokes and things of that nature that are soon forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I want to leave my audience with something different, something that they can take out the door uh, and use in their own lives while they're having fun at the same time. Gotcha. Talk to me about projecting perfection. What does that mean? Well, I think that's a big one in our life, right? Um, you turn on any TV and you're going to be bombarded with ads about what the perfect life is, is supposed to be like, right? And, and, Instagram and Twitter and all those things add to that, right? You say, look, you have, you've maybe heard the term Instagram life, or you're going around just trying to show people how great your life is with mm -hmm. the pictures, right? Yeah. And so that's what I talk about when I talk about projecting perfection, right? We want to make sure that we have a nice car and we have all those things, and we're really trying to just act like we have it all together when we really don't. And that's, one, that's really tiring, isn't it, to try to project oh, I got to work to get the new it's Tesla work, or get yeah. the new phone, so I'm up to speed, that sort of thing, right? And it's really the kind of thing that begins at what seems like a harmless level, maybe at junior high, the double-digit era, right? You got the wrong brand of jeans. You got the wrong <laughs> brand of shoes, right? You know what I'm talking about. You yeah. laugh because you know well, what I'm yeah, talking I know about. exactly what you're talking about. So we work on this image of trying to be perfect like we have it all together. With women, it you know, with men it might be cars. With women, it might be makeup. Oh, you want to look this way? With you know, dye your hair, get this kind of lipstick, this kind of wrinkle cream, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And it's all a facade, right? Because we're trying to project that we have it all together. And I think we spend so much energy doing that that if we really just decided to stop doing that, start connecting to ourselves, start listening to what's in our heart, that perfection. That greatness is really what's meant to shine through, and it will shine through. And ultimately, some of those material things that you think are going to make you happy when you buy them that really don't are actually going to start flowing in your life, but in a more meaningful way, things that you really treasure every day. Like if you've heard, ever heard the saying, whatever you don't sell, you buy every day. <laughs> and that's what I talk about so much because we are looking to project perfection of you know, our house, our car, everything else. And all that effort can, can cause us not to look in the mirror and not look inside. I notice you talk a lot about faith. How much of this journey did you rely on your personal faith? 
I think it was a development over t- over time um, because you know if you were to ask me back in 2012 2013 um, I would have t- told you I was an atheist and I would have told you that because and and I still remain that to the idea of what I've t- and I've talked about this um, the concept of a, a judge Judy God where you're you're you know somebody higher up is wagging their finger at you and, and, and damnation, right? Mm-hmm. For stealing a piece of candy or what have you, right? And I'm still an atheist to that kind of God, but what I really see now is more of God, spirit, source, whatever word you want to call it, um, as a loving force uh, that is driving the universe that is available to us. So it's it's maybe something that people would call more spiritual. I still think it's, you know, I, I, I attend the Unity Church, um, and so it's kind of more of that, that love-based idea of God that's always there to support you and never there to condemn you. When I, actually, I spoke there a while back, and I talked about the difference I saw between uh, Judge Judy God and Mr. Rogers God. And to me, I would consider the Mr. Rogers God the more uh, you know, anth- anthropomorphic uh, personification of what, where I see God as being as opposed to that wagging your finger kind of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, because I noticed you had mentioned faith a couple times, and I think you have to find something that you can anchor yourself with when you're trying to change, something that will remind you every time. Because when you're dieting or you're doing anything where your life is changing, you constantly have to have an accountability partner, and sometimes that's just you, you know. Who did you rely on through this? Was there, is there somebody in your life that you said, this is what I'm going to do? Um, and, and this person is holding you accountable, or do you just do it all by yourself? Well, that's a hard question to answer, but I had a, certainly had a couple mentors that stand out that I talk about in Defend Your Greatness in the dedication section. Uh, Kyle Cease, I don't know if you've heard of Kyle Cease or not, but he's a, he was a famous comedian who was in a couple movies, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, teen okay. movies, like 80s-type movies, you know. And... Um, you know, he became a bit of a mentor of mine through YouTube, and then we actually worked together in person. And I think uh, his work on mindset shifts and stuff was was important to me too, and being open to the universe. And then I had a chance um, before his passing. It was really the greatest honor of, uh, of my career, I guess, if you called a career. I had the chance to work with Sean Stevenson, and I don't know if you're aware who Sean Stevenson is, but if you're not. Ladies and gentlemen, you should look him up. He was known as the three-foot giant. He was born with a brittle bone disease, which has a technical name that I would completely butcher. <laughs> but uh, he could never walk. Um, he was, you know, his mother was told he was going to die within a few days. And he became a Ph.D. and a keynote speaker. And he lived up here in uh, Scottsdale, actually. And I had the honor of working with him both. Uh, he was my mentor in speaking and uh, to some degree, this book and, and certainly life, life in general. So um, he was a big help to me as well. Um, so there was some accountability there. But ultimately, like I say, you know, we can have help. We can't instigate our own shifts always. But in the end, no matter who you have, you have to listen. It's, it comes down to you, right? Yeah, because you, you know, yeah. you know, any client you have can sit there and come in and tell you, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And you know, just by looking at them or what have you, they're, you know, going to McDonald's and drinking five milkshakes, right? 
bit of an exaggeration, but you get my point. No, it's not. <laughs> All right, it's well. It's not an exaggeration. But, but you see what I'm saying. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's important to have mentors like that. And, and, and Sean and Kyle stand out particularly as a couple of people. And now I've been following um, William Linville. I haven't had a chance to meet him yet, but uh, he's a great spiritual teacher as well. Gotcha. So um, what's coming up for you? What's next for you in this journey? What else do you have going on? Oh, my. Well, um, in a couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to debut uh, Overcoming Jody Arias, the show we talked about a, a few minutes ago. Um, that was supposed to set in April, but uh, it, uh, you know, obviously COVID has changed everything. So right. we're set to go in October, October 18th. And I just found out we have a few tickets available, whether they'll be available by the time People hear this, I don't know, but uh, you can always check back because, you know, maybe we'll be allowed to, to what's sell your, What's more your tickets. website? Where would people find that information? People could go to kirknermy.com for that information. They can see uh, there's a link to my author page on my books and um, the tickets to Overcoming Jody Arias, as well as if you want a chance to be coached by me in terms of your book writing or anything else, or maybe you just need a quick motivational video, I have a link there. I'm on uh, Starzana, which is uh, a video service that are somewhat similar to uh, Cameo, but it provides, I think, a, a lot more opportunities for interaction, and it's been really cool because when I get on there, I get a chance to offer some inspiration to some people that are going through cancer and different struggles in their life. Just to, it's so neat just to be able to make somebody a five-minute video and send it off to them and, and, and know that it's changed their lives and hear back and, and things like that, so... All those things are up on, on my website. And, you know, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'll be filming uh, The Forgotten Boise 7 in November. Uh, so, uh, and we'll be looking out for that. Maybe uh, we'll get a chance to talk about that down the road closer when it comes out. It's, a, it's, a, it's an important story, I think, because, you know, what the human mind is once allowed to happen, it can allow to happen again. And these women... For those who aren't familiar with the story, you know, these women being uh, discriminated against for their sexual orientation is certainly one of those things. So I'm just honored to play a small part in, in what I think is an important uh, story, important documentary. Excellent, excellent. Very good. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming in and chatting today with me. I know you're a busy guy. Oh, you bet. You got a lot going on. And um, I really like some of the things that you're saying on your website, some of the things you're saying, because it's kind of similar to some of the stuff I do. This month, I focused on stress and how people um, can deal with stress. And a lot of stress that we have in our lives is brought on by ourselves, you know. You're right. You're right. I mean, that's, you know, in, in Defend Your Greatness, I talk about quieting the mind. And I think one of the greatest acts of self-care is meditation. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the stress we bring, you know, it's amazing how much that we invent problems. So oh, yeah. the mind invents problems so it can have a use to solve them, right? Yeah. And if we get into meditation, we begin to quiet that mind and quiet that voice and also maybe recognize it too because I, I talk about this a lot with fear because most of the time the mind will create something for you to be afraid of, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to do something else, whatever, right? And it's, it's a lie. It's just a lie. And and the, the other alternative is, so what? So what if this happens, right? So what if I get fired from my job, whatever? Right. right. So, so living without that noise is one of the greatest acts of self-care I think we, we can engage in. Love it. I love it. All right. Very good. 
Well, again, thanks for coming in, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence. Clarence Ferguson is a seasoned loan officer, fitness expert, personal chef, and entrepreneur who leads a revolution of men and women like you who want to live their best life going into middle age. Join us next time for more inspiring dialogue, challenging topics, and industry leaders offering tips and how-tos to improve your life right here on StarWorldWideNetworks.com and wherever you get your podcasts.